0: if you will if you need to you can turn to Matthew 6 you know the verse we're in the Lord's Prayer and we are in verse 10 of Matthew 6 and it's it's involved so today we're going to call this part one thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven part one you know the Bible teaches us the power of prayer Prayer is effective. The Bible is full of answered prayers. Uh, James 5.16 tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or righteous person availeth much. So we are to pray. Jesus said we are always to pray and not faint. Paul said that we are to pray without ceasing. And we know from our own experience and from what we read in God's word that God answers prayer. So the phrase that we're looking at this morning is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it begs lots of questions as we study the verse and as we think about um, what it's really saying to us. And if we think about it very much lots of questions come to mind so the question first of all is this if god is sovereign isn't he going to do what he wants to do anyway you ever have that thought why am i praying about this god's going to do what he wants to do and so we we get into that mindset and if we say if god is in charge and operating according to his sovereign will why should we pray thy will be done isn't he going to do it anyway So, another question we can put in here is, does God change his mind? Does God's sovereignty mean that that he never changes his mind? Are we really praying to get God to do something other than what he's already planned to do? If we are persistent enough, will God just bend or break and do what we want him to do just because we're driving him crazy with it sometimes we have those thoughts so then there's the question well if God is sovereign why do we pray why do we even do this but yet God commands us to pray so there's a paradox here that we have to think about and so this is a time to admit that there are lots of questions we don't have answers to. Just go ahead and shake your head, guess, and raise your hand, do whatever you need to do. There's a whole lot of things we don't know. And so God is so infinitely beyond our own thinking and our understanding. And there's an incredible gap between our thinking and doing and God's knowledge and his doing. There's just a whole lot more stuff we don't understand in this life than we will understand in heaven. I was reading this week, this was an example. So, and if I said, who wrote the gospel of Matthew? You might say, Matthew. You might say the Holy Spirit. Well, which one is right? Both. And so then Matthew, did, did Matthew write a verse and then the Holy Spirit write a verse and then Matthew write a verse and the Holy Spirit write a verse? No. Well, How, how did they do that? How does this make sense? Was Matthew just a robot? Did he just take on characteristics of a robot and just write? No. Did the Holy Spirit just dictate to Matthew? No. The truth is that God somehow in his sovereignty, in his greatness, used Matthew's heart and Matthew's feelings and Matthew's vocabulary, but it was the Holy Spirit directing all of that, melting into him, using all of that. Now, how do I comprehend and explain all of that? I don't. Just the way it is. Okay? Okay. So at some point in time, we just believe the Lord. And so the bottom line is, God said it, and that settles it. You know, there are a lot of bumper stickers around that say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Once God says it, that settles it. Okay? So God said it, that settles it, and I believe it. And so I don't have to understand it. And so there are these things that happen that cause us to have to consider the magnitude Of God I know I've just been blown away here lately by some of the stuff I've been reading about the discovery from the Hubble telescope and a lot of this other stuff of more galaxies millions more and more galaxies more and more stars I'm thinking how in the world I don't even know how to think about some of that so we know that God knows the end from the beginning we know that he is sovereign he said pray and prayer works, that's all I have to know. So we're, bottom line is we're gonna pray because he said so. And then we're going to try to press into and, and buy into his will. So here, Jesus says, pray, thy will be done. Now, remember that the Lord's prayer is not a ritual. It's not something we're just going to recite on a regular basis. It's a pattern for prayer. It's a model for how we're to pray. And so it's got to flow out of a heart, out of a believer's heart, because when he first started the Sermon on the Mount, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Who's who's he speaking to? He's telling you how to build a kingdom. He says, this is kingdom life. And so the Lord's prayer, the content of the Lord's prayer, the model prayer has got to flow out of a heart that bows to him. It is a picture of what is inside a believer's heart. It's a picture of our attitude toward God, even though we may pray the content, pray the model, and use different words. That's okay. But if we look at it this way, if we we just pick it apart, what's the first word of the Lord's Prayer? First word, what is it? Our? Our? Well, that says something, doesn't it? So question number one, do I just live for myself? Am I a part of the family? Our. Then the second word, father. Father, am I his child? And if I am his child, do I act like it? Who art in heaven? Am I laying up treasure in heaven? Do I believe that? Am I laying up treasure there? Do do my thoughts go to heaven a lot? To what's going on into heaven and the way God is using heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy. Am I striving for holiness? Do I really believe that his name is hallowed? Do I bow before that name as hallowed? And then it says, thy kingdom come. We talked about that a lot. Am I living in his kingdom on earth? In my time here on earth, am I following the laws of the kingdom? Am I living like a kingdom citizen? Do I live by its grace? Am I saturated with the mindset that is the kingdom of God? Am I evangelizing so that I'm advancing the kingdom? How do people get into the kingdom? By being saved. So am I participating in kingdom life? When I say thy kingdom come, that needs to be showing up in me, in my behavior. And then today thy will be done am i obeying his word i find god's will in god's word am i in that word and am i obeying that word and then he says on earth as it is in heaven Um, that's been a wonderful thought for me for a lot of years Um, i was in a new testament class dr iw bowen at uh, tift college more years ago than i'm going to tell you about and he made this statement, heaven is a place where God's will is done. Boing. Heaven is a place where God's will is done. Now, I, it, it, it produced these thoughts in me or has through the years. I don't know that it all did then, but have any of you ever been afraid of God's will? I've been afraid of God's will at times. In my mind, in theory, I know that it's a good thing, but in my life, there are just some things i just assume he not do. You know, and so then when you think about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, heaven is a place where God's will is done. Is there anything uncomfortable in heaven? Shake your head, no. So if heaven is a place where God's will is done, then God's will is going to be a good thing. God produces good things in his will and this is where we're headed some with this next week but understand right now that God's will is not always done on earth what's going on in the world is not God's will what's going on in our country is a result of us having asked God to leave and this is what life looks like when God is not present you know what hell is like hell is a place where there is nothing like God there It's a total absence of God. That's what hell is like. Heaven is the opposite. Heaven is where everything is like God, and it is good. So, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, God's calling us to live as heaven citizens here and now. Living according to his will. And then we'll come to these later. But give us this day our daily bread. Daily dependence and trust on, in God is a part of kingdom living. It's who we are. It's how we think. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We spent a lot of time on that recently, didn't we? Lead us not into temptation. So while I am deliberately making myself available to temptation... I don't validly pray, lead us not into temptation. If I'm going to pray that, then I need to be avoiding temptation. I've used this, this illustration before. If I'm trying to be on a diet, I don't need to hang out at the Dairy Queen. Right? So if I am putting myself in positions where temptation is going to be an issue, then I don't need to be praying, lead me not into temptation, if I'm making myself available to it. So once I pray, lead me not into temptation. I'm going to have to see what I can do to get away from it. To stay away from it. Deliver me from evil. Am I putting on the whole armor of God? Thine is the kingdom. Well, am I loyal to him as king? Is he king of my life? Do I ascribe glory to him? Do I live knowing that he has all power? So this model prayer is not just something we know and say. It's something we clothe ourselves with. It's another way that he has in the Sermon on the Mount of giving us content. The content of kingdom life. The content of kingdom living. So thy will be done in. Is God's plan and we're to pray in accordance with God's plan and we're to pursue him and team up with him you know so that we hear him we communicate with him we know what that plan is because we know his word we know what we're supposed to be doing and so we're going to do his will and heaven comes to earth because heaven is a place where God's will is done it makes me have to ask the question sometimes, if I know that heaven is a place where God's will is done, do I ever need to fear God's will? In this life, it's going to be different. There's going to be pain. One of the verses that, that comes to my mind is, God is not willing that any should perish. So when we see people perishing all around us, we can look at that and say, That's not God's will. What is God's will? If you want to know what God's will looks like, you look at the characteristics of heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is a place where God's will is done. Now sometimes we might pray, thy will be done with some form of resentment. We take that attitude toward God, with you're going to do what you want to do anyway. Just go ahead and do it. God, you're going to do what you want to do. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. And so sometimes then we're tempted to think that God is selfish and cruel, that he's for people perishing, that he is oppressive, dictatorial. And when we say, thy will be done, we're thinking that we can't do anything about it. God's going to do his will. So what am I praying for? Why am I asking him for anything? What's he going to do? I can think of all the times in my life when I've asked him to do something I wanted him to do, and he didn't do it. He didn't went ahead and did what he wanted to do. So what am I asking him for? And we get this resentful attitude about prayer and about God. And so we say, "Thy will be done with this tension and helplessness and bitterness sometimes. We may say, "Thy will be done with this Passive resignation. Well, uh, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. Well, I can't do anything about it. Just do what you want to do. I'm here. What is that lacking? It's lacking a, a commitment and a oneness with the Lord and a belief in His goodness. So we lose our truth. We lose contact with the truth that God is a loving Father, He cares and his heart breaks over our pain sometimes it's hard to believe that when we're in pain or when we're in grieving or when we're in mourning and we think god didn't care about this if god cared about this he would make something different here well he does and you know what we have to come back to over and over again is realizing we live in a fallen world and god's plan wasn't that this world would be fallen God's plan was not that Adam and Eve would fall. In his foreknowledge, I think he knew they would. But that wasn't his will. It wasn't his plan. And so we don't just resign ourselves to God's will. We want to participate in it. We want to hold on to it. You know, and sometimes we just might end our prayers with, well, thy will be done. That kind of signs us off and covers everything, you know, And what happens in those situations, and and here's the challenge, I don't have any faith that my prayer will do one bit of good, but I'll tack this on. So we begin to believe believe that our prayers, prayers don't really do any good. And we question whether or not God is really good, whether or not he really cares about our pain. And We've got all of this stuff going on and on and on, and it's not new. Turn to Acts chapter 12 with me just for a minute. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. And the church was concerned. It was upset because they were afraid that Herod was going to behead him like he had just beheaded some others. They And so they had a prayer meeting at the home of Mary, who was the mother of John Mark. And so they're all in there together, and they're playing, Oh, God, release Peter. Oh, God, release Peter. Oh, God, release Peter. And so... An angel got him out of jail. Now watch what happens. We have time. I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. Okay. Acts chapter 12 verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James the brother of John put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the feast of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him and said, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals, and he did. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision or having a dream. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street And immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he says, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now watch this. And when he came at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate. But she ran in and announced that Peter was standing outside at the front gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. And let me ask you a question. Did they expect that their prayer would be answered? Nope. Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Is that just like us? And so part of what's going on here is learning to believe that what God says about himself and about what he will do and about us is all true. I want to read you uh, something, a story, a testimony that I read earlier this week on um, social media. And I thought I had it up here, but of course it's going to go away. Let me get back to it. This is a testimony written by a doctor who worked in Africa. And it reminds me of another testimony of George Mueller. Any of y'all know who George Mueller is? I'll tell you about George Mueller in a minute. But this is a testimony of a, a doctor who was working in Africa. He said, one night I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward. But in spite of all we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive as we had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator. We also had no special feeding facilities. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly (coughs) with treacherous drafts. And one student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and the cotton wool that the baby would be wrapped in another went to stoke up the fire and fill a hot water bottle and she came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle it had burst rubber perishes easily in tropical climates and it is our last hot water bottle she exclaimed As in the West, it is no good crying over spilled milk, so in Central Africa, it might be considered no good crying over burst water bottles. They do not grow on trees, and there are no drugstores down forest pathways. All right, I said, put the baby as near the fire as you safely can and sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle, and that the baby could so easily die if it got chills. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a hot water bottle today. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added, and while you're about it, would you please send a little dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen to that prayer? I just didn't believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know he can do everything. The Bible says so, but there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I'd been in Africa for almost four years at that time and had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send me a parcel, who's going to put a hot water bottle in there? I lived on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. So I sent for the orphanage children because I could not open it alone. Together, we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. And from the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. And then there were the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients. And the children looked a little bored. And then came a box of mixed raisins that would make a batch of buns for the weekend. And then as I put my hand in again, I felt the, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children and she rushed forward crying out, Well, if God sent the bottle, He's sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted, and looking at me, she asked, can I go over with you to give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Of course, I replied. That parcel had been on the way for five whole months. Packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months before. In answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, God says, before they call, I will answer. That's what prayer is about. It's buying into God's will, the goodness, the favor of God, what he wants to do, staying there with it and believing that he is going to do something good at the right moment in time. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. George Mueller was a man who started an orphanage. I've read some of his books. This is a long time ago. I can't quote dates. But the Lord put it on his heart, 1800s, early 1900s, to start an orphanage. And he committed to the Lord that he would never make public their need for anything, that he would only make the Lord aware, and he didn't. And story after story of how God dealt with that orphanage. And one that I remember was that a little girl had been praying for what she called variegated yarn. She wanted to knit with some variegated yarn, and that's the way she pronounced it. Some variegated yarn. And even George Mueller thought, God ain't going to send no variegated yarn. Well, guess what? She got some. Were gated yarn. There was one morning when they had no food, no milk. But they gathered around the breakfast table anyway, and they said the blessing. And they sat there and waited. And it wasn't long until the milk truck broke down in front of the orphanage. Needed to do something with the milk, so gave it to the children. And then not long after that, a local bakery came by and said, We've got some extra bread today. Can you use it? That's our God. And our first job is to get to know Him better so that we can live in that kind of relationship with Him, that kind of faith, the faith of a child that just believes Him without asking questions. Let's pray. Father, would you make real to our hearts whatever the message is you want us to know today and help us to know you, to trust you, and to walk in accordance with your will that you may be who you are in and through us and that you will change this country as we do your will as it is done in heaven. We pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.